So when people think of Jesus, I think uh, the word that comes to their minds is, is love, right? Most people who don't know much about Jesus, they still know that Jesus is a lovable guy. And also, he, he's a man full of love. Seems like everyone gets along with Jesus. Seems like around Jesus, there's always a lot of people. Uh, there's great conversations. Jesus is this person who, who is loving on people, taking care of people, meeting the needs of people. And I think that's why a lot of times we have such a negative view on, on, on the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees. Because we know that, you know, you can't really get on Jesus' nerves, but it seems like these religious leaders are able to do that. Uh, when Jesus interacts with these religious leaders, it seems like the tone is different, uh, the attitude is a bit different, it seems like there's tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. Jesus calls out their hypocrisy, how they are different inside and out. He calls out how um, they preach the law, but they don't live according to the law, and how they seem holy on the outside, yet seem so corrupted inside. And because Jesus doesn't have great things to say about them, they are offended and they plot against Jesus, try to, try to remove Jesus and kill Jesus later on. And so we see that there's this tension that exists between Jesus and the religious leaders. In all four Gospels, you kind of see this relationship play out um, in, in different ways. But in the Gospel of Luke, interestingly, uh, the only Gospel out of the four, we see that Jesus is, is dining, eating with the Pharisees. On three different occasions, we see that there's a religious leader or a Pharisee who invites Jesus to his home to have a meal together. And on three occasions, Jesus says yes. He doesn't say, I'm busy, or let me check my schedule, or uh, let's see what we can do down the road. No, he says immediately, no, I'd love to do that. Like he, he goes to their house. He eats with the, the Pharisees. And this shouldn't surprise us, especially that Luke is telling us this, these, these things, because we know that Luke, the message that he's trying to get across to us is this, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Just the passage that we looked at last week, it says in verse 34 of chapter 7, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a gluten and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So people have different opinions about Jesus, about John the Baptist, and one of the things that people didn't like about Jesus was the fact that he was eating and dining with um, these tax, tax collectors and known sinners. And so this was, this was how people were looking down on him. But at the same time, it's ironic that that's absolutely true, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that he is close to sinners. So Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend to the obvious sinner. He's a friend to the not-so-obvious sinner. He's a friend to the religious sinner, and he is a friend to the non-religious sinner. He's a friend to the sinner that, that comes to church. He's a friend to the sinner that's outside of the church. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that's why we see in today's passage that Jesus is, 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 is responding to the invitation of this Pharisee. Because at the end of the day, this Pharisee is a sinner in need of a Savior. This is what's going on in Luke chapter 7. We see the setting in verse 36. We see that Jesus is invited by this Pharisee um, by the name of Simon. Uh, we see that um, 
He is the one who extends this invitation, most likely happening after Jesus was teaching at a synagogue. It was a polite thing to do for the religious leaders to, to welcome the teacher to their place, to have further conversations. And so Jesus is invited, and Jesus says, yes, I'd love to, to go and, and dine with you. Now, when it comes to Pharisees, we have to know that these are experts of the law. These are people who know the law inside and out. They also try to live according to the law. And most people would look, look at them and they would say that, man, that, that's a righteous person. That's someone who is living a pretty decent life when it comes to uh, the law. And we see in verse 36 that the meal that they're having with Jesus is quite formal. Uh, it's not your typical meal that you just sit down and eat, but it says specifically that they're reclining at a table. This is a very special meal. It's a meal that you would eat together for quite a long time. Uh, I kind of demonstrated this before. It's not the first time we're looking at this, but uh, normally what would happen is you would have a table that's quite low, and then around this table, three sides, you would have these platforms, these couches, and what you would do is you would lean on the table with on your left side. With your right hand, you would eat, uh, and your feet will be sticking outside. And so all the heads are gathered at the table, all their feet, all the feet are sticking outside, and we don't want any smelly feet near the food. That's what's going on. And so if you love eating on the couch or you love your, you're having some popcorn or drinks on the couch, like, man, uh, you're missing out. Jesus, that, that's, that, that was a special way to eat at that time. It was actually a comfortable way to eat, so people would be there for a long time, period of time. They would have conversations, interact on the table. So the, the, the fellowship that happened on the table was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign that, hey, we can hang together. Like, we're friends. Like, I accept you as a person. So we see that Jesus is having a great meal uh, with these people. He's having a great time of fellowship. Everything seems to be perfect. But this great meal is being interrupted by an uninvited guest in verse 37. This is when things get kind of strange. It says in verse 37, And behold... It's, it's like something is coming, right? A woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining, Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So it's not a monster that shows up. It's this woman. And, and we don't know much about this woman. Some people try to make the connection that this might be Mary Magdalene, some other things. Now, there's not... A lot of evidence to support that. All that we know from today's text is the fact that she's a woman and that she's a sinner. She's a known sinner. Like everyone knows that she is a sinner. Uh, another thing that we do see is, is this, that she is from the city. Uh, because of this, a lot of people would uh, make the, jump to the conclusion that maybe she's a prostitute because, you know, who's a sinner who works in the city? Probably prostitutes. But again, that could could be true, but we don't know for sure. All that we do know is that she's a woman, she's a known sinner, uh, she is of the city, and that somehow she knows Jesus. Somehow she's aware of who Jesus is, and most likely she heard the message of Jesus. That's what we see um, as, we, as, the, as the story unfolds. So she wants to see Jesus. That's why she's here at this place. And she has this expensive perfume 
this, this alabaster jar of perfume, alabaster was a type of stone, a precious stone. And inside of this stone uh, was this expensive perfume. Normally you would carry it on your, uh, on your neck as a necklace or maybe you would have it in your hand. Now we don't know where she got this, uh, if she was able to pay for this. This was quite expensive. But either way, she brings this perfume for Jesus. She wants to do something for Jesus. But the moment she sees Jesus, she loses it. And things get really, really awkward. Just imagine you're with your family, you're with your friends, someone that you care about. You're having a very formal dinner. And in the middle of the dinner, someone shows up and tries to have a conversation with you. But even before having a conversation with you, they start start weeping. They start crying. Like, it's already quite awkward, right? Uh, When it says, this woman wept, that's the same word that's translated in other places sometimes as rainy showers. And so we're not just talking about just droplets of tears that are coming down her eyes, but she's bawling, like she is crying, like uncontrollably. And we see that those tears are falling at the feet of Jesus. Again, this makes sense because feet are sticking out. And so um, his, his feet are getting wet. Um, and, and the next thing that happens is this lady, she unties her hair, uncovers her hair, and it says that, that she started wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair, which was inappropriate in that culture it was unacceptable like untying your hair even that action was something that you would only do in in front of your husband never in a polite company but it's not just that she's just untying her hair she's letting her hair down but she's wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair Paul later talks about how hair is a symbol of honor for women uh it it and yet she is, she is doing all this to, to, uh, to, to wipe and to wash and to, to, to dry the feet of Jesus. And if things were not as awkward you know, already, it, it says that she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus. Like now, this is, this is not something that's weird. It's something that was, um, you know, probably talking about a friendly, welcoming kiss. Later on, Paul talks about a holy kiss, but definitely not a normal thing to kiss someone's feet. Uh, but you also see that it's not just the kissing, but she is putting this ointment, this perfume on the feet of Jesus in a way to honor him. It's not just a way to refresh him, but it's a way to honor him because Anointing someone was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of honor. It was a sign that, you know, I appreciate you. I, 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 I love you. And, but normally you would anoint someone on the head, not on the feet. So what's going on here? Washing someone's feet was reserved for the lowest servants, the youngest servants. It was something that was considered dirty and nasty. And so normally the host would simply give some water to the guests or they would have a servant wash the, guests, the, the feet of the guests, but never would the host himself wash people's feet. And so we see that this woman, she is, she's, she's not only unworthy and unwelcomed in this place, but her behavior is so unacceptable. Like, it's so strange. Like, she's making a scene She's making people uncomfortable. You can just imagine the awkward silence in the air. And when everyone is staring at this woman and staring at Jesus, it says in verse 39, And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, Simon, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She is a sinner. So in the midst of this great meal, you have a great sinner who's causing 
all this chaos. And notice that now the host, Simon, he's not Simon Peter, by the way, again. He's Simon the Pharisee. He's not just blaming the woman. It's not that he's just talking about the woman. Now he's talking about Jesus. He's saying that, who is Jesus? Like, if he is a holy man, he would never let an unholy woman like her touch him. Like, this man, is he really even a prophet? So he's having all these questions, these doubts. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is, and, and everyone's trying to make sense of this whole situation. And we see in verse 40 that Simon, as he's speaking to himself, as he's having these thoughts in his head, Jesus sees through his heart, and it says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he begins to share this small story in verse 41. This is where the parable comes in, the small story. It says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other, 50. So the story that Jesus tells is this. There's one person who most likely has a lot of money. He lends money to other people. He's a money lender. And there's two individuals who owe money to the same person. One person owes 500 denarii. The other person owes 50 denarii. Now, it's hard to kind of, uh, you know, translate that into today's currency, but one denarii was uh, someone's day wage. The average worker would earn about one denarii a day. And so uh, if you kind of do the math, try to put things into perspective, uh, right now the minimum wage in Virginia is $12 per hour. And so if you work from nine to five on a day, you can make about $96. Now we're not going to talk about tax. That's a whole nother issue. But $96, you round that up, let's say on average you make about $100 um, a day. Um, if you just put in genuine work. That's one denarii. And so 500 denarii would be about 50K. Uh, uh, 50 denarii would be about 5K. So it's a big amount, but it, it doesn't blow your mind, right? Like 5K, 50K, like, yeah, some of us, we have more student loans than that. Like, we have more debt, card, credit card bills to pay than that. Like, it, it's, it's an amount, but... But what we see is that the Bible tells us that both people are unable to pay back. That's the important detail. That although they have different amounts that they owe, both people are unable to pay back. And it says in verse 42, when they could not pay back. So they don't have the ability nor the resources to pay back. Now in this case, uh, for us, you know, we, would, we can hire a company to collect our, our debt and all that, uh, all, all our money. But... Um, Back in these days, what a money lender would do is either he would, he would um, use the law to, to put these people in jail, in prison, or uh, he could sell these people as slaves, or he can take them in as slaves so that they can pay off their debt. And so all these options are not that pleasant. So we're wondering, okay, what kind of, what, how is this person going to respond since they can't pay off their debt? It says in verse 42, when they could not pay, and this is the shocking twist in the story, he, the moneylender, canceled the debt of both. So the debt was gone. Imagine you're, you, you purchased a house with, and you have mortgage payments. You, you're struggling to make those payments, right? And really, like, things are so tight, uh, unexpected uh, things happen, and so you can't, you can't meet that payment that month. And so you have to call your, you, the, the person that you owe money, and you have to say, man, really, something happened. You know, my family member got sick. You know, I, I lost my job. I really can't pay off this, this, this month's payment. And, and the person on, on the phone says, well, don't worry about it. In fact, you can just have the house. Or just imagine one day, right, like 
they, they, there's a bill that comes out, and, and all student loans gone, period. Like, I don't care if someone decided to just pay off all those loans. How awesome would that be? Or you, you receive your credit card statement, and the balance is, is zero, right? You owe nothing. Like, how amazing would that be? Because that never happens. Like, every person tries to collect every single penny that we owe, and yet what we see in today's passage is that this moneylender was willing to cancel all the debt for the guy who owed 50 denarii, the guy who owed 500 denarii. And now Jesus asked the question to Simon and says in verse 42, now which of them will love him more? Which one will love him more? And so Simon, he answers in verse 43, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the large, larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So that's correct. Uh, Simon the Pharisee, he understood the story and he made the right judgment call. Uh, the person who owed more money most likely was more grateful for, for the, the action of the moneylender. The fact that he owed so much money and yet now that's gone, uh, that means that he received more grace, right? And so Simon says the person who, who has a bigger debt, he, he is more thankful and grateful for what happened. And in verse 44, now Jesus begins to explain this parable in light of what's going on in reality. He says this in verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss uh, of greeting, but from the time I came in, she was, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So what we see is not only is Simon the Pharisee and this woman of the city so different in, 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 in culture, in class, in, uh, socially, culturally, economically, even gender is different. All these things are, are different. They're so different, and yet they also have a very different response to Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Like, the way that they treat Jesus is different. Now, we would assume that Simon, you know, he, he's, he's treating Jesus well because he's the one who invited Jesus to his home. And yet what Jesus says is, you didn't even do the things that are customary, like the things that are, are, are expected uh, normally when you invite guests. You didn't provide even water. I'm not even expecting you to wash my feet. You didn't even provide water. Like, it's like inviting someone to your, to your house and you're not letting them use the bathroom. Right? Like it's, it's like, no, you, you're going to eat this food, but don't use the bathroom. Don't wash your hands, like, but enjoy the food. Like, you didn't even give water for, for me, or you didn't give your servant so that he could wash my feet. This woman has, been, had, has washed my feet with her tears. You, you didn't give me a greeting, a kiss, um, to welcome me, and yet this woman has not stopped kissing me on my feet to show her love and affection. You didn't give me oil to anoint my head. Um, you know, we know that hair sometimes can get really stinky. Uh, you didn't anoint my head. And, and she, not only is she, it's not about the head, but she even anoints my feet, something that people don't want to touch. And these are not necessarily mandatory things that a person has to do, but it, it, it was something that was a proper thing to do, nothing outside of the box when you are hosting people. So, Simon, he invites Jesus, he's having time with Jesus, and yet he does not honor Jesus in such a way. This woman, 
is an uninvited guest, unwelcome guest. She walks in and she honors Jesus. She pays the costs, money-wise, but also her reputation is now in jeopardy. She humbled herself. She falls at the feet of Jesus, wipes um, the, the feet of Jesus with her hair, lays down her dignity, like her worth. Um, she is risking rejection when she shows up in this, in this place. And she's doing all this. Why? Because it says in verse 47, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So that's the point of today's passage. That's the, the, the main, main message of the story, is that those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little love little. So the main idea is this. Jesus is the only one who, forgive, who can forgive, and therefore he is the only one who is worthy of your love. Jesus is the only one who can forgive, therefore he is the only one who is worthy of your love. You think about the two responses uh, that, that is in this passage, how people respond to Jesus. One seems to give this excessive love to Jesus because she has been so forgiven. But Simon, on the other hand, he's so reserved. It's not that he doesn't care about Jesus. He still cares about Jesus, but he's reserved in his love. He's not expressing his, his love. And the reason why he's not expressing his love in such a way the reason why he's so reserved in his love is because he doesn't understand that he is forgiven. He, doesn't, he, he actually doesn't think he, he doesn't think he needs forgiveness. Uh, he's unaware of what he needs. Now, looking at a passage like this, especially at verse 47, when it says that, okay, if you are forgiven much, you love much, it is tempting for us to say that is why I need to go out and go as far away from God as I possibly can because I need to sin. That's how I can understand grace, right? Because a great sinner receives great salvation. Like the reason why I'm struggling to understand the gospel is because I just didn't sin enough. And so literally people would go out and try to do all these different things because they believe that the reason why this woman came to Jesus in such a way is because she was a, a, a well-known uh, sinner. You can't argue that. And, and Simon just happened to sin a little. But I don't think that what, that's what Jesus is saying in today's passage. I think Jesus is pointing out the fact that both are actually pretty sinful and both are actually in a hopeless situation. You just go back to the parable, right? You have two people who owe money to this moneylender, 500 denarii, 50 denarii, and you might think, wow, it might be great uh, to, to, to receive uh, that, type of, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that type of grace from a moneylender, you know, 500 denarii, that, what you owe, that it's gone. But think about this. The key to understanding that parable is this. Both people do not have the ability to pay back. That's the key. Both people do not have the ability nor the resource to pay back the moneylender. Now, if that's the case, would you rather be a 500 denarii debtor or would you be in debt for 50 denarii? Which one do you want to be? For me, I would rather be the 500 denarii person. You know why? Because that's kind of understandable because you have such a big amount of money that you owe that you're struggling to pay back, if you only owe 50 denarii and you still can't pay back, that means there are bigger issues than, than, than what you have in your, in, in, uh, in, when it comes to what you owe. What Simon does not understand in today's passage is this. It's not how much you owe, but it's the fact that you owe money that you cannot pay back. Not every 
person sins the same amount, but every person has sinned enough, according to the Bible, that we can't save ourselves. Every person has offended God enough that we are deserving of his wrath. Not everyone sins in the same way, but everyone has sinned enough that we would fall short of the glory of God. That is our problem. It's not how our sin compares to other people. It's how our sin compares to the holiness and the goodness and the righteousness of God. And how we have a problem because we have a debt that we cannot pay back. The wages of sin is death. Like as we are living this life, what we are accumulating is, 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 is this debt that we cannot pay back. There's nothing that we can do in our power to solve our problem of sin. One person knows that, the other person does not. So it says in verse 48, he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, again, don't misunderstand this. I don't think this is the moment that this woman realized that her sins were forgiven. I think Jesus is simply affirming what she already knows. I think Jesus is reminding this woman, although you are forgiven and although you have displayed your love out of this forgiveness already, I just want to affirm your faith. I want to remind you that, yes, you are forgiven. So live as someone who has been forgiven. And isn't that what's wonderful about the gospel, that Jesus is not only willing to save you, but he's willing to remind you that you're forgiven? When you are unsure about your status, when you are unsure about your position before God, that he is the one that not only makes a way for you, but he's the one who constantly reminds you through the spirit of God that you're forgiven, that his grace is enough, that what he he has done on the cross is more than enough to, to make a way for us so that we will be unholy people can be with the holy God. He had paid that ultimate price. So what we see in today's passage is that Jesus is the only one who can forgive, and therefore he's the only one who deserves our, our love. He's the only one who's worthy of our loves. Now, people at that table, as they are as they're seeing things unfold, it says in verse 49, they began to speak among themselves. Who is this who even forgiveness, uh, who even forgive, forgives sins? So what we see is like these are people who don't understand the full picture, and yet from their mouth, again, it's ironic that they're saying, man, this person is able to forgive sin. Who is this guy? And, and the answer is this is Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the one who came to save the world. He's the only one who can forgive. And it says in verse 50, to the woman, your faith has saved you, so now go in peace. Just in case you missed it, Jesus reminds you one more time that this woman was not saved based on her action. It, she wasn't saved because she displayed such emotion. She wasn't saved because she brought something so expensive and costly. She wasn't saved because she was so dramatic in the way that she was responding to Jesus. It wasn't her tears or her looks or anything that, that saved her. The Bible says that it was her faith. Your faith has saved you. Your faith, it's not works. It's not who you are. Your faith in Jesus Christ has saved you. And that's what we believe through and through, from cover to cover. The Bible reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we receive this forgiveness in faith, by grace, uh, in Jesus Christ, what we receive is this incredible peace. Go in peace. We have peace with God. We have peace about our lives. We have peace about what goes on in this world. At the same time, we're able to freely love Jesus that we can love Jesus extravagantly, that we can display our, our, our love to Jesus by declaring his worth in our lives, 
that we are willing to pay the cost. We don't care about what other people think. We're willing to make that sacrifice because we want people to know that we love Jesus and he is worth it. That he's absolutely worth it. We don't want people to mistreat Jesus. I mean, how brokenhearted would this woman have been when she first appeared on the scene? This, this Jesus who is so great, the lover of her life, is being so mistreated. His feet are dirty. His hair is, is, is still stinky. Like, people are not necessarily welcoming him as they should. And so she makes a scene. She goes out her way to make sure that people understand the worthiness of Jesus. So all this is happening. So just remind, want to remind you that if you feel like you're in a place where you cannot be, uh, receive this forgiveness, if you feel like you have committed too many crimes or too many uh, sin in the past, I want to remind you that Jesus is willing to forgive if you're willing to trust him. Now, that's how the story ends. And some of you might be wondering, so what happened to Simon? Right? I think that's a, a valuable question that we should ask and the answer is we just don't know what happened to Simon. The future is sure for someone who is forgiven. We know what happened to this woman. The future is uncertain for those who are not sure that they're forgiven. Like, let me say that one more time. The future is sure for someone who is forgiven. The future is uncertain for someone who is unforgiven. Simon, he, we don't know how he responded to this message, but we do know based on his response, the outcome of his life is going to be different. I think the reason why this is such an open-ended story is because Jesus is asking the same question to us today. Where do you stand? What decision are you willing to make? What's your response to Jesus? Just like Simon was left with a response. Either he can reject Jesus or accept Jesus and follow Jesus. Same is true about us. If we are forgiven much, we can love much. The reason why Simon did not love Jesus much is because he didn't understand that he was forgiven much. The reason why he wasn't forgiven much is because he didn't think he needed to be forgiven much. The reason why he, wasn't, he didn't think that he had the need to be forgiven much is because he felt like he had too much in his life. Too, I accomplished too much. I did too many good things. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good about what I have, like the life that I lived. Like the woman there, she has to be worried about the outcome of her life. I'm set. Like, God has me. Like, I, I, I lived a righteous life. I lived according to the law. And so he feels like he has so much, and therefore he asked for so little of Jesus. All that he asked for is a meal with Jesus. Not power, not healing, not forgiveness. All he wants is just a friendly conversation with Jesus. Some of Jesus. For the women, Jesus was everything. For Simon... He just needed some of Jesus, and therefore he got little of Jesus, or actually none of Jesus, for the woman, because she didn't have much. Jesus was everything to her, and she gives her life to Jesus, follows Jesus with all that she has, and as a response, because she was forgiven much, she's able to love much. So where are you in this story? Are you a sinner who is in need of forgiveness today? Or are you a self-proclaimed saint who is in need of forgiveness today? Uh, regardless of where you are, every single one of us, we need God's forgiveness and we need his grace. So let's respond to this good news and follow Jesus and display our love without hesitation, without any shame for his glory. 
for his sake. Amen? Let's pray.